trusted love this far, trust it all the way. My name is Matthew Kroll. And unbow your head, sister. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film, If Beale Street Could Talk. Matt, if a story of Boulevard could talk, what would you think it would say? Oh my god, our alma mater street? Yeah. Uh, it would say, it would be in Greek. Oh yeah, it would, true. It, whatever it said, it would be in Greek, and yeah. it would probably say something along the lines of, why are all these new restaurants here? <laughs> true, why are these new buildings here? Or maybe just get out. Get out, yeah, that could be too. Don't trade on me, something along those lines. I mean, like... That's a very, um, <laughs> that's a very uh, New England statement. Oh really? Is that what, don't, I always thought didn't, don't trade on me was like a George... George Bush Senior thing. Ah, uh, maybe, I don't, maybe, look- maybe not. Whatever. So, so for whatever reason, there's a snake on uh, on uh, one of the flags up there, and yeah. then you, it's like, don't tread on snake, don't step on snake, and it just sort of like, I no, always- you're right. Yeah, it's the Gadsden flag. Yeah. Well, I don't know what that is. But, you know, you know. Good <laughs> if old you know what that did. is, if you our listeners know what that is and want to tell us what "Don't Trade on Me" means, among other things, uh, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. As our listener Ray did this week. Hi, Ray. With uh, I believe her. Oh, listen to my voice. Whoa, uh, it's a little early. Uh, I believe her um, list. I apologize if I've got that uh, gender wrong, but um, uh, she gave uh, her list of Christmas movies. For those who hate Christmas, she had listened to our holiday episode and wanted to chime in with her Christmas movies. And they included Krampus. Yep. You guys just did a thing on extra credits about Krampus. We did. Yeah. It was a, it's such a fun episode. Okay. Oh my it's like all of the midwinter myths that that Krampus sort of comes from, and we try to decipher where Krampus originated in mythology, and it's it's pretty cool. Well, there was a 2015 movie, which I have not seen. Jack Frost. Oh, Jack Frost. A 1997 serial killer genetically the- mutated into a car wreck. On the way to execution. Well, That's he's, a, he's it, genetically mutated into a snowman via right. a car wreck. Yeah, so he's yeah, basically yeah. child's play. But a snowman. <laughs> that seems, it's like, it's like Jaws. Just don't go near the water. You know, with, uh, with Jack Frost, just melt him, right? Yeah, but what if, what if you're only in cold climates? Like, and, wouldn't and, you just stay by the fire? <laughs> yeah, but for instance, here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, a very packed snow isn't going to instantly melt when it hits heat. Right. So, like, he could kill you and then melt to, and then get away. Like, He also seems fairly pliable. Like, you could just kick him and, like, chill him the Also, let's be very clear. <laughs> Magic snowman. Oh, right. Magic snowman. Yeah. Got Not it. just regular. Because if it was a regular snowman, it couldn't do the stabbing. I gotta see this. I gotta admit, I'm very curious about this now. Yeah. Uh, the other one was The Riff, uh, which is the, uh, what is that, a Dennis Leary film? Uh, oh yes, yes, I, yes. I remember that. It's where he ties, he, he kidnaps two people, ties them up. It, and, like, and it's like a home get, invasion, yeah. but then it turns into a buddy comedy. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember it being a Christmas movie, but I guess it is. Edward Scissorhands, a classic, great choice. Sure. Love that movie. Silent Night, Diddly Night. Yep. Gremlins, Black Christmas. Oh, Gremlins is oh, yeah, oh, so good. Oh. Well, I feel. I wonder if Gremlins holds up. Like that's the thing. I haven't. I haven't seen that since that period of time in my life. So I remember back when I was a little kid, I always liked Gremlins too better than Gremlins because. Because Gremlins 2 is just like pure candy. That's where they take over the TV station, right? It's like a whole mall building TV station right, yeah, thing. Yeah. Also, the NES game, surprisingly good. <laughs> um, but they, they like, it gets rid of the horror of Gremlins and goes pure slapstick. Right. Um, Which was kind of the fun part of Gremlins. Like, I, I guess. Yeah. I think there are some scary parts in the original Gremlins. I, you know what? We should we should review Gremlins. Joe at some Dante point. film. We, it's. I just remember the other thing about Gremlins is it's got such a great setup. You know, like going to the um, going to the the Chinese store to buy it. The Mogwai. Oh the, my god! The rules and everything. I walked you know? by. 
I, I there was a store that looked exactly like the because he walks. It was a store that was in a basement yeah. uh, thing, and there was the stairs down. And I remember in the movie you could sort of see into the the, the shop where uh, they buy the Mogwai, where they buy um, uh, Gizmo. Yeah, and uh, the, like I I was walking actually in Chinatown mm-hmm. to uh, to meet some friends, and I saw this store that I was like, is this where they shot that? And I want to go back. So- was it shot in San Francisco? I think I it probably yeah, I was. Can't remember. But uh, the it just looked it just brought back all of the Gremlins memories. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, I wonder if it would actually hold up or not. I'm not too sure. But also, it also inspired one of the best uh, episodes of Treehouse of Horror of The Simpsons, where uh, you could buy your Mogwai and a frozen yogurt. Uh, yeah, for the Froger. Yeah, the Froger. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, uh, I think we should review Gremlins at this point. Oh man, not we, today. No, but... because we still have requests that we haven't uh, gone to yet. That is right. We I have... want to finish out this list. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. I do not know this film yeah, I don't, from nineteen seventy two. I'm just going to read her note about it. Probably one of the most head scratching films I watched in two thousand eighteen. Felt like it was literally six hours long, but just bizarre enough that I may put it on again for background noise. Okay. All right. All right. Scrooge, the 1970 version, not the Bill Murray version that we like. Interesting. This may be the most Christmassy film on the list, but Scrooge sings about how he despises people, and then the entire town dances on his coffin in a musical number. Sold. And finally, the 1966 version of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I'm guessing Ray might not be there for the new Benedict Cumberbatch version. Probably not. Yeah. You're a mean one, Mr. (laughs) Cumberbatch. (laughs) Thank you very much for that list, Ray. We really appreciate it. Uh, We still have our top 10 of the year to come up as well. Uh, we've received a couple of uh, uh, lists of pe- what people like for their top tens or what they want for their number one. Again, you can email us in with a voice memo. We will play it. 30 seconds or less voice memo, your number one film. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, the pick, we, we have one voice memo already, and the pick uh, is going to be. Is, it gonna, is, is the pick going to shock me? Uh, hmm. I'm not going to say. Right, don't, say it. don't say it. Don't say no, it. Don't say it. Don't say anything about it. It'll be a, a nice. It's a really interesting one because this person basically gives what their fa- film is and then goes out of their way to explain why it's not a great movie. Uh-oh. <laughs> but Uh-oh. It, it's going to be interesting. Anyway, again, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or uh, at onlymoviepod. Matt, now, instead of a story boulevard, if Beale Street could talk is the follow-up from Barry Jenkins, the director of the Oscar-winning 2016 film Moonlight. Yes. A film that uh, ended very highly on, well, ended up number one on my top ten list of that year. Uh, very highly on yours. I, I, I believe it was number two. Two, something like that, yeah. I'd have to go back. Um, uh, so a movie that we, well, I, I, I kind of, at this point, I was like, it's a movie we just have to see. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. have to see. Yeah. Um, I also kind of did a little bit of a, I, so I absolutely loved Moonlight. I'm fascinated by what Barry Jenkins does because Moonlight, I think, was so transcendent as a film. Um, it was, and it is only his second movie. Um, his first film, film, Medicine for Melancholy, was a twelve thousand dollar little indie, right? Uh, which I have not seen yet, but I heard was kind of enough clout to get him Moonlight. Uh, and Moonlight was kind of the surprise of the Oscar of the Oscar season, which is that it was, you know, it, even in his own words, he described it as a film that he never intended to like go to the Oscars and win Best Picture. Right, right, right. And if you remember controversially, it uh, was It almost, almost didn't. It almost didn't, uh, uh, which is a fun clip from Warren Beatty. Um, but but uh, <laughs> so I, I was really curious about this, and this is an adaptation of a James Baldwin novel uh, from 1974, and I hadn't read any James Baldwin. So I decided I... I, I, this is always a bad thing. I, I think, in my opinion, like reading the book before seeing the movie always makes the movie worse. 
Uh, it's very rarely do I ever like it read. Makes a, your, it makes your perception of the movie worse. Yeah, very rarely have I ever read a book where I'm where I've gone into the movie right away and appreciated the movie more because I've read the book. The only one, the only example I can think of, and it was from when I was like. 12 years old or something like that sure. is The Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Where the movie was just as good if not better than the book. Have you ever had that experience? Have you have you ever like is there any book book to movie example that you can think of? I mean, I think, you know, I, I think a good examples are the Marvel movies where I think the movies oftentimes are They clean big. up the stories that are old and kind of trite and a little bit like wonky in certain spots. Sure. Yeah. Uh to be honest, yeah. this is going to uh, you know, come at me nerd brethren, but I will actually say the Lord of the Rings. Oh, I the, think, the movies I are... think the movies are superior to the books and I know that's sort of in a in a Tolkien-esque uh, worship yeah. society that is not uh something you say. I think I obviously, I've never read the book, so oh, I'm curious. I think the the way the the books uh, the 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 tropes and the ideas that the books deal with um, from a societal standpoint are far stronger in written form. Right. But if I'm thinking about just sort of a pure enjoyment, right. uh, I think the the films do exactly what films should do with novelization adaptations, especially things that are as complex and and just so so much uh, minutia as Lord of the Rings. Right. Um. And it and it lets you know and makes you feel. That this is a huge spanning world with like with with uh, everything's been figured out, right? And I never doubt that anything in that world has not been fleshed out, uh, even though the film doesn't show you everything all the time. Like it, right. it always felt to me like an actual planet, for lack of a better term, and never just like. And here's a scene where they're running in the woods, and here's a scene where they're at, uh, st- uh, you know, the 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 keeps and things. Like it's just they, it, it always felt lived in right right and I, I think i remember reading that that the the biggest omission that i really liked was or that that was really appreciated was tom bombadil yeah but here's the thing about tom bombadil no, no, like having him taken out of the movie I was know. like a good example of why the movie is a streamlined version of the right book. exactly and i and you know you could everyone has their favorite characters and in, in yeah. whatever their you know stories they're ingesting into their brains so i feel for those whose fa- favorite character is tom bombadil just not be in there yeah. although he shows up in the hobbit doesn't he uh I think Radagast. Oh, Rad- no, Radagast. Yeah, Radagast. Yeah, Bob Bill does not. I, I don't. I, I. I'm not. Being from New Zealand, I should be like really invested in the lore of Lord of the Rings. But also, I'm not. oh well, it's funny because this is <laughs> this is a weird thing. Lord of the Rings has become a New Zealand thing now. Yeah, but he didn't write it. In no. New Zealand, like no, it's, it's not like it's not based it just because New Zealand is the only place beautiful enough to shoot most of it. Uh, almost threatened not to be uh, with the uh, with the Hobbit. They almost took it away from New Zealand and said, "Look, we could do." Uh, th- this is a really fascinating story. Uh, Lindsay Ellis has a good uh, uh, on uh, YouTube has a really good three part series explaining okay. what happened with the Hobbit. But there was a moment where basically Warner Brothers threatened to take Lord of the Rings away from New Zealand and shoot it in Ireland instead because wow. they, uh, you know, they just filmed Harry Potter there. Um, really fascinating story about how politics can, uh, you know, like how politics and culture can collide in really interesting ways. Um, it's a very, very fascinating story. Um, so, so yes, you're correct. New Zealand has somehow, I think what it is is New Zealand has capitalized really effectively sure. on the success of Lord of the Rings. So, that, you know, there's a lot of Lord of the Rings tours in New Zealand. Where I used to mountain bike 
on a daily basis is one of the locations for Lord of the Rings. Right. And I used to mountain bike there before it was a You Lord were there Lord. before the elves got there. Yeah, and now whenever I mountain bike there, there are signs up now about it being a Lord of the Rings location. I only think about Lord of the Rings when I when I ride that area. I want to watch. I need to get some nice uh, Blu-ray copies of Lord of the Rings. I, ha- I own the extended editions. On Blu-ray? Were, yeah. Because, oh, because let me borrow that. Yeah, you can borrow that. Uh, because uh, they were on sale and I felt patriotic. There's a gold <laughs> box every once in a while on yeah, like Amazon. Yeah, or like, something it was where like it's like 20, 20 bucks. bucks and i was like all right i and, remember when those things were like 150 yeah and i bought it thinking oh one day you know one one long winter's day i will sit down and put these on it feels i, I know we're getting off on a tangent yeah we've really we've really walked far away from the uh, Beale street we've gone uh, far, farthest from the beale street home that mm-hmm. we've ever been yeah but let's go back. I could talk about Lord of the Rings forever. That's my example of a book that, um, or films that I think uh, made the book stronger. Though, and I, I wonder if this is true with Beale Street. Um, it's something that, and it's kind of the same reason the thing you brought up with the Marvel films. These films, I don't think, at least uh, up to Beale Street, we'll decide if this fits into there. Could not exist if the if the original works, or could not exist in such a, a heightened form if the original works hadn't exist in in either their elongated form or maybe their forms that not everything entirely worked. Or yeah. like it's it's when um you know uh, uh, a creator looks at a different piece of work and says, "I love both. I, I love everything about it, not just the great stuff, but the flaws." And then it figures out what it is that loves about the entire piece, and then they kind of morph it and turn it into something. That's their own vision. Yeah. Was was and a lot of times, a lot of times it fails too. But um, what what do you think this was? Now you've you've read the novel and seen the film. Uh, yes. So uh, it, it, I know it's a little early, but can I ask what version you think is the more? It's weird because I have some thoughts about how this movie functions. But let's say the superior form of the story based around both enjoyment and the point. Okay. Uh, I think I think. I want to uh, tackle that question a little bit later because it is, it's, it's a good question, and I think and I think it's 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 going to be the centerpiece of the way this discussion goes. Okay, but to kind of backtrack it a little bit, uh, I, I think um, I, I've talked about this before, but like you know, Alfred Hitchcock had this thing which he, he said, you know, like uh, a novel shouldn't be the best version of that story. Like he doesn't want to adapt perfect novels, and he talks about how. When he adapted the birds, for example, you know, like uh, I think it's a Daphne du Maurier story. He he read it once. He thought it was okay. Yeah. But he thought it. The reason he adapted it was that he thought he had it had potential. And he says he always stayed away from stories where he thought the book version was a very you know where he thought the book was excellent. He said those are films not to adapt. Sure. Um. And his reasoning is this, and I think I think it's a good it's a good guideline not though not you know in every case because like for example in, in lord of the rings is a masterful written trilogy mm-hmm. and and somehow managed to be a masterful written film um but his reasoning was something along the lines and i may be i may be misquoting hitchcock for somebody else here but he he said a, a novel should be the broad brushstrokes of an idea and the film should fill in the details of those brushstrokes so kind uh, of the opposite of what i yeah, well, and and Thanks, I think Hitchcock. Yeah, but his uh, his notion there was is that is that movies are obviously a different language than than the written word and do different things and can give you a tactile sense of the world that the film uh, that the that the novel necessarily sure. can't. Um, and so he kind of wanted to find novels where the broad brushstrokes were there and he could fill in the world. Now, there's a sort of counterpoint to that, which is that a lot of his 
his um, adaptations were also kind of slightly ethereal and weird and kind of did give you this sort of impressionistic sense of what the novel kind of did as well. So it's, it's, it's a really tricky balance to achieve, you know, like, um, I, you know, the, the other one I think about is Upton Sinclair's novel Oil, which got adapted into There Will Be Blood. Right. And I think the, th- the interesting thing about that is that or, uh, There Will Be Blood takes a really specific chunk of uh, Oil and, and adapts just that slight story, almost to the point where it doesn't feel like it's an adaptation at all. He just took kind of one thread out of it. Um, so the reason I'd say that is that... Um, in terms of novelization, uh, novel to film, um, If Beale Street Could Talk is a very good adaptation of the book. The thing about it is, when I read the book, I read it and said, hmm, this is going to be a really tricky adaptation because the book doesn't shout, adapt me to it. Like, when I read it, it didn't, it didn't really feel like something... You were like, oh, I really need to see this on the screen. Not only that, but then, but then that was kind of leading to my point about how I kind of felt that, oh, maybe this could be an interesting adaptation if you really, like, ripped apart the seams of the book and rearranged it and made it your own. And I think he does... Barry Jenkins did talk... You know, I've listened to an interview with him on the Ringer podcast where he talked about how, you know, that's what he really wanted to do. He wanted to own the book in his own way. Um, but, But... This is a very good adaptation of that book, but I don't. I, well, I think the thing we're going to get into, and it's sort of an answer to your question, is I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Okay, let me ask you this straight up because I'm I, now I'm just I have all these questions and I'm yeah. so curious. Yeah, is the structure of the book, t- uh, when, the nonlinear when, structure, the nonlinear structure, the same as the film? Very similar. Okay, very very similar. That felt. Um, there's, there's obviously differences, but it's very sure. similar. So I, 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 I was guessing that was the case because that feels very uh, important to... It's important to what the film is trying to say, I think. It, it, the, the film, this is something, and I, it's hard to get into without getting into a ton of spoilers, so I want I don't want to deep dive into this yet. But I, I had an interesting relationship when sort of thinking about afterward and dissecting this film. I mean, from, uh, for, well, actually, even, uh, I'll pad out the time here a little bit because the, the, <laughs> no, because the technical stuff I do want to talk about, too, and that's something we can talk about without getting into a little bit of spoilers. Holy shit right is this film gorgeous oh yeah it's beautiful it's like i i I am i as i get older i am becoming increasingly fascinated and in awe when a director and a cinematographer can make mundane shit look mesmerizing i think one one person to forget in that in that is the colorist in this film i think the colorist that is very true yeah is is a very key component in this and the the colorist name is alex bickle i believe the you you're 100 percent right and i i apologize no no no, not a thing thing. but it's it's so unique to this to to both moonlight and this it's so interesting when i am caught up in uh (laughs) <laughs> there's a scene where they're with with uh dave uh what's his name franco yeah dave franco yeah uh who plays like a, a landlord and they're thinking about like moving into a spot and they've had trouble finding a a, a place to live and it's like a mundane rundown old mill building that they're going to turn into apartments yeah. and it's just gorgeous yeah. and i'm like this is the like the most bland scene probably in the entire movie and it's still mesmerizing before we move on tell us what if beale street is about from the imdb oh synopsis. of course of course i mean it is we, uh, this is this is pretty apt um <clears throat> 
a woman in Harlem embraces her pregnancy while she and her family struggle to prove her fiance's innocence of a crime. That's absolutely correct. It it is um, good synopsis, uh, and that I is agree. a that is a hard. This is what happens. Synopsis. Well, I think the thing that's really difficult about um, if Beale Street could talk is how if you know, like I, I mentioned the word ethereal before, but I think how ethereal the the film and the book are. It is like the plotting of the film. Well, yeah, it's and you can hear it in my voice already. It's really hard. It's hard for me to like distinguish between the the two experiences because I was I was I read them right beforehand, and I kind of got into. I got into a sort of a James Baldwin rabbit hole, which is really fascinating. He's a writer I have read a lot about, but I'd never read one of his books. Um, before this, I also watched uh, Raoul Pick's documentary, I'm Not Your Negro, uh, which is kind of a, a loose adaptation of a book that 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 James Baldwin never wrote. Um, and it's really interesting to figure out James Baldwin's worldview. And that's so important in this novel because the novel is kind of doing two things. Uh, the novel and the film are doing two things, which is on one hand... It is a out and out pure love story. Right. On the other hand, it is an illustration of Baldwin's worldview, which is this sort of anger and frustration at the state of America for African Americans. Yes. Uh, Baldwin was famously outspoken about this topic. Uh, he actually, uh, the the thing about "I Am Not Your Negro," uh, which is this adaptation of this book, is that it, it's you you. Baldwin kind of places himself at the center of Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and Medgar Evers, uh, three civil rights activists, uh, you know, uh, in the in the late 1960s who were all assassinated. And he kind of uses them as a metaphor to kind of balance out his ideas about how America actually operates and works and, and how f- not... Frustration is the wrong word because he, Baldwin is, is just angry about it. You yeah. know, he, he thinks... And he, and he thinks all African Americans, all white people, all Americans should be in rage about the state of racial divide and racial inequality in America. And he famously moved to Paris um, to, you know, to write because he was just so frustrated with America. Yeah. Interesting side note: the If Beale Street Could Stalk was previously adapted in France um, oh. as a movie called Where the Heart Is. Um, so, just kind of an interesting uh, thought about how stories get translated or moved from. Country. Did that Did that story take place in France? It did. Yes. Do they have a lot of this? I don't. I know nothing about sort of. I know nothing about France. France uh, has racial politics as well. But like, as in, uh, as toxic as America. Um, if you look uh, anywhere right now to the sort of ongoing debates about immigration in France, uh, yeah, and on okay. almost you know they almost had a national uh, socialist, not national socialist, but a, a sort of. <laughs> Uh, an almost Trumpian figure uh, win the last election, so uh, they dodged the bullet. We they, we stepped in front. They slightly dodged the bullet. Uh, Whatever your 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 uh, knowledge of French politics are, write us in only movie podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Teach Matt about France and uh, politics. Have, have you ever noticed we always just that's our go to phrase when we don't know we, something? Well, no, because here's the thing, and this is something I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a tangent very briefly, and I'm sorry. I think it is absolutely wonderful that we literally could pose a question on this podcast to our listeners and be like, "Could you explain to us the racial?" politics of france because we don't know them and nine times out of ten one of you comes back to us with like information you've become better for me 
and and more interactive and just more enjoyable than like googling stuff at this point. <laughs> because like next week we're gonna have an email back and it's gonna be really lovely. I that's it's so funny. We've just figured out that this this whole podcast experience is basically just to, to avoid, teach us or just to avoid Google. Well, that or we are actually sentient AI that are feeding off of your information that we'll use slowly to take over the world one day. At any rate, going back to that, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, the, I apologize, we went down the side tangent there, but Woo. but I think so. I think the 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 interesting thing to think about is the divide between what the story is trying to do, which is that it is telling sort of an almost Romeo and Juliet kind of love story, um, but it is framing that Romeo and Juliet story or Tish and Fanny story in the in the context of American injustice, which is not unusual. You know, many novels have done that. Um, but but it is a unique one in that the injustice here is almost incidental and expected. So the thing I, I think I want to emphasize there is that, you know, and this I guess this kind of gets into spoilers if you've seen the movie at this point, is that the injustice doesn't get resolved in this film. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the injustice kind of almost hangs on to these this couple's love story tangentially like you know like there is an argument about like why this why fawning was accused of this crime there are you know sort of wonderful vignettes in the film of of like how it's impossible for him to have committed this crime but that injustice you know there's no courtroom scene where that injustice kind of gets really taken to touch we don't re we the film doesn't even really like illustrate what happened you know and i think the sort of interesting thing is that it is is a little confusing at times as to what actually happened well um, because here's the thing the, yeah. and this is what it took me a long time to deal with and by a long time i mean like the last 48 hours because i saw it uh two days ago yeah. but like i was having trouble wrapping my head around my feelings about the film right because it does not function in a in a way that I am accustomed to mm. when emotionally resonant storytelling is done to me with film. Okay, and by that I mean the I guess we're you were, we're going full into spoilers. yeah. Let's it's go a little spoilers bit earlier. Here, yeah. Um, the end of the film, like what you said, the the injustices are consistent and inconsequential, and the film doesn't have. I, definitely not a happy ending, and some might argue that it just doesn't sort of end. It just sort of stops. Yeah, and we all know my history with non endings on this right. podcast. This was never a moment where I was upset with the film for how it ended. Right, because I, I, I it made me think about it more and more, and it and it ended in the sort of like, well, and that's all the time we have. Right, uh, these people are still going to have a ton of injustice. It, it is just basically like. How did I put it before? The 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 standard narrative structure for something like this is you want a resolution, be it good or bad. That's what that's what you've been trained, and that's what your mind is expecting yeah. when you're told a story like this in a medium. And this film doesn't do that, yeah. and it doesn't give you the catharsis of having a actual legitimate sort of like, yeah. and then they lived happily ever after, or things are terrible, and that's the end. It's just like no. This is life for these people, and it will always kind of be life for these people in this in this in in this America. Yeah, and which is only a few. The the life they're talking about is only a few blocks from where I we know. live. And 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 it's made specifically, almost I think, pinpointingly to give the audience that feeling of like, yeah, this is where you live. 
And there's no you, this is real life. There's no catharsis in it entirely. This, this movie could be scored by Childish Gambino's "This Is America." Yeah, and it's <laughs> and it's and it. The point of this film, and it took me a bit to get to it because there's lots. For instance, narratively, the love story is beautiful. There's no question, but there's a lot of sort of like leftover shit in this that, like, I was like, why is this after the film? For instance, the the very powerful scene where they invite the other fa- when it fi- when they first find out that she's pregnant, then they um. They invite the family over to talk about it and blah, blah, blah. And, and Fadi's in jail at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mother is a very um, yeah. uh, religious person along with the two daughters being a little bit prim and proper. And the dad uh, has his own issues. Yeah. Um, some very strong um, and yeah. bad. And um, I was like, oh, these characters are going to be important in this story. Yeah. And then, like, especially the mother. The mother, uh, I, I want to find the actress's name who Her plays... Her name is uh, Anjuan Ellis, and she plays Mrs. Hunt. Yeah. Uh, such, Anjanae, sorry. Such a powerful performance just in that... She's in one scene. Yeah. And I was like, they're not bringing her back. Like, why did... Okay. And then I realized as it was going, and we had these vignettes of great characters. And power, we're, we're traveling with this couple and their, their trials and tribulations through the injustices of the American legal system. And then, like, here's it's just basically like showing you all of the shit they have to deal with, but you never get a moment of closure on any of it. Right. And I think that ultimately is the point this film is trying to get across. Yeah. It's obviously beautiful things such as these two people's love does exist, but love, love doesn't conquer all. Love makes all tolerable. Right. And shit still goes wrong and is bad and always rolls downhill. And uh, it took me a bit – it took me a lot, like a lot of thinking to sort of get over my own like, well, this movie didn't end in a way that I found satisfying. It's like, yeah, no shit. These people's lives don't end in a way that they find satisfying. Like it was a – it was a – it was an a, a way a, a way an emotional punch was delivered to me in cinema that has not been done, I think, before. I mean, you, you know, the non-ending ending is actually a very specific thing. So no, no, I, know. I, no, no. I'm not talking about structurally. Yeah. I'm talking about effectiveness. Right. Like, and I don't. It, it's like the entire point of this movie, I think, comes is supposed to hit you right at the end after you thought about it. Right. Um. So there's an interesting. And again, I've I've purposely um, read the book because I wanted to like figure out how the adaptation worked differently in the book. Unfortunate problem about that is we do the thing that I hate that we do sometimes, which is we review the film we want it to be instead of what the film actually is. Um, because we're you know I'm comparing it to a different source. So your brain film. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, th- that is a you know I, I sort of sit that up uh, front, which is a you know a faux pas from critical critical analysis kind of view. <laughs> so um, don't pay attention to what you hear is going to say. Exactly. And it's very difficult for me because I this film has 95 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, critics whom I admire uh, are loving this. You know are talking very highly of this film. Not as sort of in the same way as Moonlight, but you know, as an Oscar contender, as a top ten of the year kind of thing. I'm not in the same boat because I think the the while I do think the film is beautiful, while I think it's a it's a very well made, well constructed, well conceived um, adaptation of this particular book. I think the problem that it has for me is that it's too close an adaptation of the book, and it doesn't rip apart the scenes. Now, I think the problem, the reason is is that the book is kind of anti-structure in a way, in that it is told in this sort of like flashbacky way, and it is unresolute in terms of the ending. Now, the the thing that the 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 kind of the beauty of the romance though is what 
basically is the palate cleanser for the injustice that happens. And and the way this the way to think about the structure of this is that you are supposed to be invested in the love between these two characters such that that when this injustice happens it's not about the injustice, it's about how it splits these two people apart. And I think the novel was really effective in doing that because um for example the scene where you uh, which you describe which is the meeting of the two families is kind yeah. of built up quite quite a lot in the novel and it's kind of the centerpiece of the novel really uh, yeah it's a really big scene in the novel it lasts a long time and and the that thing, was in the first third yeah it's in the first third and it happens kind of quickly in the in the film I think that, you know, like when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, this is the scene that I want to see played out in extreme detail in the film because this this feels like the biggest thing. The, the, the oddest thing is here, I will say, uh, in terms of spoilers here, when I read the book, the two main important scenes that I thought were going to be key to the film's success were the sex scene and the, like their first sex scene and the, the, the meeting of the families. Those were like the two points where I was like, Oh, and, and um, uh, uh, the 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 mother uh, Regina King uh, going to um, um, Puerto Rico. Uh, those are kind of the three key set pieces that I thought were important to this. And it was weird because that wasn't what the 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 most successful set pieces for me in the film, or the most successful scenes in the film, involved um, Brian Tyree Hill's um, uh, scene where he meets, uh, where, where he comes back to explain what he, what he's been doing, you know, like what prison life was like and the scene that you described, which is when they find the apartment with Dave Franco. Those were the two key scenes that I thought really, really worked in the film. And it's interesting, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, I apologize, got his name wrong. Um, now the thing that was interesting there is though, though, those scenes are really short in the novel. Those two scenes, so the, like him describing, you know, Brian Tyree, uh, Tyree Henry's, uh, I think his name's uh, Daniel Cardi, describing what prison was like, is a real like couple of pages kind of thing. It's very powerful, but it's very, very short. Whereas in the film, it's elaborated and expanded upon much further. And I think um, uh, Brian Tyree Henry is amazing. I think yeah. he's, he's like one of my performers of the year at this point. Um, uh, he really owns that scene in a way that leaps off the page. And it's a thing where I think... Fonny and Tish are cast really well in this film, and everyone's cast really well. But to me, Fonny and Tish didn't leap off the screen the way that they leapt off the page. And you know, that's a that's that sort of false equivalency comparison that I don't want to do too much. But I but it is something I felt, which is that the novel is really sexy. It's really sexy, and it's really like you're really invested in the romance between these two characters because you see them kind of like go from childhood all the way up to this uh, to this point, and and you see the dynamics of the family relationship before you get into that you know like uh, evening drinks kind of explaining the pregnancy scene. So you understand everything that's going on in that scene before before you walk into it. In the film, you kind of just walk into it, mm-hmm. and. And I think it, 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 it sort of, for me, the film suffered because of that. Because I, I didn't, while I thought it was beautiful in all the ways that Barry Jenkins proved that he could do sure. beautiful scenes, it never felt like it went beyond the page and, and lipped off the screen. Here's what I'll say about it. Because <clears throat> as we've sort of described, the love story of this, of this piece is the center of the entire thing. Yeah. Never did I feel while this was going on like an intense, an intense sort of passion or sexiness. Even yeah. in the sex scene, yeah, uh, it never was that to me. Yeah, what it felt more like to me was more 
um, love in the sense, or like uh, you know, love and devotion in in almost a mythological sense. Yeah, and, and in the way it doesn't feel real, right? Well, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I was on board for that, and maybe and again, might that might come from reading the book, experiencing a thing, expecting yeah. to sort of feel that sort of same thing. Um, because I was just like, oh, this is like this is. This is a mythological tale of love and 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 hardship, basically. Yeah. And the way it was structured was it was very ethereal and very sort of and the, the way it was shot and the way yeah. it was colored all felt very floaty. Yeah. Uh for for to simplify that feeling down as simple as I possibly can. And so I, I didn't get that yeah. feeling of like it I guess intensity is the wrong word. Uh because there were intense moments in this film. But at the same time, it was never. You know what it was? It nothing in it, if in that aspect from the love story, felt visceral right. or tangible. Yeah, it all no, that's felt, exactly it. It yeah. all felt. This is what it is. It's not the carnal. It's there's never sort of any carnal love, which is sort of half of what love might be made up of, depending on yeah. who the type of person you are. It is all ethereal love. It's all sort of like your brain's love or yeah, your heart's yeah. love, and not your body's love. That's a the, weird the, way to put the, it. The way I would put it is is that it, the characters felt like ideas for characters as opposed to feeling like characters. They felt like the mm. the it, it was it's a myth. I mean yeah. it's what it, it that's what mythology does. It takes it takes the mm. aspects, it takes like the pinnacle or the 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 uh epicenter of what a feeling or an idea or a belief is and like makes it into a character or two characters. That's uh, these yeah. two characters. And, and again I'm gonna fill in the holes from the novel, but right. but but again these are sort of deficiencies in in the way the film kind of presents these ideas. I don't know if it's a def well, here, okay it, I, again I don't think it's a deficiency for me. Uh, well, let me put it to you this way: is that is that I can fill in the holes from the novel, but the problem is, is that I don't think that the film does a great job of giving you the impressions that I got from the novel. I'm just kind of using the novel as backstory. But now, and you even but you, didn't you just say that you thought that it it kind of they felt mythological but not real. But I like that. Oh, okay. Like that that's my point. I think this is where this is where reading the source material and having a different especially if the if the book was pointing the the way the love is portrayed in a in a bit of a different uh yeah. feeling direction. I don't have that other like the other way it was told to me so yeah. i couldn't possibly make the choice of which one i like better right. it could also be what we uh, what our opinions are of those type of things but this felt to me case in point moonlight yeah. felt like a real like every emotion in that film felt physical right. felt very like in the human sort of like deep down in in the in the in, in your guts yeah uh sort of feeling this was more like your heart and your mind and mm -hmm. and the frustration and hardships that your heart and your mind feel when when right. um when presented with with situations that this film does i really like that because oftentimes i find in intense I know we always use Romeo and Juliet as like the sort of like the baseline, but there's yeah. been a million romance stories. Yeah. A lot of these romance stories that are so like um sort of physically visceral, a lot of the it's funny because a lot of the times that's where the problems in the tale lie, not in the way it's told, but like what happens to the characters. Like the characters give in to their urges or whatever. Yeah. And then bad shit happens because of it. Right. This movie, that doesn't happen. Bad shit happens because society lets bad shit happen. Right. Um, and again, I it goes back to sort of my central thesis about this. About at first when I walked at when I when I finished this film and I left, I was like, oh, I don't know if I liked it. Right. Because 
it kept introducing super interesting characters that I thought would be in it for the long haul, and then it drops them. Yeah. And then uh, I thought there'd be some sort of resolution one way or the other, and it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, or it, it gives you it, but it's like in a voiceover, and then you see like an epilogue. Yeah. And uh, but then I realized that like no, th- this is this is pure. It's it's a mix between sort of a mythological love and slice of life storytelling that is basically trying to give the viewer, in the most remote sense, that you know that you know it's not possible to actually let someone else experience someone else's life and hardships, but like. The feelings it gives you based on all of these things, like here's some amazing stuff that pops in and goes away, and here's an ending that's not really an ending. It's just like, oh well, mm. fuck, this keeps going. Yeah, uh, it gives you the 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 like a, an, a, a one percentage of the feeling of what that might actually be like for the people that are that are dealing with it. Right, and I I thought that exercise itself was incredibly powerful. And therefore I once I glommed onto that idea, mm-hmm. I no longer really had problems with the okay, with so the you... standardized structure stuff that I normally would because I was like, oh, structure isn't the point. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I I completely yeah, went back. Yeah, because you, you've 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 gone I'm so I, sorry. Yeah. We we jumped off of mm-hmm. the the sort of the aspect of the the two characters love of of um... No no but I, I guess what I'm jumping back and forth here is whether you felt the film was effective for you. A hundred percent. But right. here's but here's the thing. Here's right. the weird thing. Not when I left the theater. Huh. It sat with me for a while and I was and, and you know what? This is what it is. I was normally if a movie doesn't work for me, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think about it. Right. But there was so much technical acumen cinematography, directing, acting, editing, yeah. uh sound design, music, yeah. the scoring. The score is beautiful. Where where I didn't even actively this is a sorry everybody. I didn't actively think about it after the movie. Yeah. I inactively thought about it. I found my mind sort of going back to it. Mm-hmm. And without me because a lot of times I'll go watch these movies and I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna think about like I'm gonna sit down an hour and like actually think about my opinions of this film. This wasn't one where I did that because I found myself in my day-to-day life going back to it and dissecting it more. And I think probably around the, the 24 hour mark, like a day later, I was like, Oh, the point is to make me feel like this. Like, right, right. uh, and I found that sort of slow burn. Like it was almost like the movie infected my brain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, again, that's what I, I know. I said it before. Like I hadn't experienced something like that before. I don't know if I have had that moment of like real, like, where the movie doesn't, uh, you know, instantly tell me what it's really trying to do, mm. and that, but this I like figured it out, and okay. maybe, maybe it could also just be that I was slow, <laughs> <laughs> but like uh, it, the, I'm saying overall that from point of beginning of watching the film till honestly talking about it right now, that journey was incredibly rewarding. For yeah, me. I mean, and I, I, I think I, I felt that way about Moonlight, for example, right. which is that it was a film that like. I I remember really distinctly. I walked out of the film like not sure how I felt about it, but then I kind of whipped on the way home thinking about mm-hmm. it. You know, like it kind of it it seeped into my brain. And the more I think about it, the more that film kind of rewards itself. Yeah. with me, I I kind of almost had the opposite impression with if Beale Street could talk, which is that I kind of watched it with a lump in my throat. You know, like I watched it going, these are just beautiful scenes. Sure, the performances are beautiful. Everything about this is working so well. Um. But there was something about it which felt almost in a way two-dimensional to the film, which is that it is there is this sort of schematic structure to it, which 
doesn't entirely kind of dive into why these characters are important in the way that I think a movie should give us the tactile sense of how things work. Now, I, I don't think that that is um, a failure of production, a failure of writing or directing, a failure of anything like that. I think it's just the, it's the difficulty with which this particular novel has to be adapted. And I think this is a very, very good adaptation of this novel. But, but it kind of to me, I miss the essence of what I liked about the novel. Now, I don't love the novel that much either. Like, I don't, like, I, I think the novel kind of does this, a similar thing, which is that it takes, the novel takes a little while to absorb into your bloodstream to kind of really get a sense of what it's doing. Um, it's beautifully written. It's, a, you know, Baldwin's prose is, like, mind-blowing. Um, but the, 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 I think the the thing for me is, for example, the 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 family's meeting scene, which is that in the in the novel you kind of you get built up to you understand who the mother is before you walk into that scene, and you understand the relationship Fanny has with his mother before that scene begins. So you understand why Fanny is attracted to this other family, or why Fanny has become such an important part of this other family's life. Um, you know, and they seem to have more affection for him than his actual family does. Um, that that is all built up in the novel so that you kind of get a sense of what that is. But when you walk into it in the film, I kind of, I was just watching actors kind of do scenes that are beautifully done, but I didn't like get a deep impression of like the lives beyond those scenes or the lives beyond those words. And I think that was really, that was really sort of tricky for me to navigate. And I was like, I didn't want to do this thing where I was comparing the novel to the book, but obviously I was doing it. And it is it is a bad thing to do. And it puts me on a back foot before I start watching it. But I do think, you know, my genuine impression of the film is that it is, it is kind of touching the surface of these issues and you are supposed to do the work for it yourself. And I'm glad, and I'm glad that you had that experience. And I'm glad that, that, that you feel this way about it. I, I think I just felt that the film wasn't effective in, in, in basically summarizing those experiences as well as, as, uh, you know, um, as, as well as I thought it could do. And I think, and I think the potential was that it could do it better than the book. And it, it kind of did it the same as the book for me. I, I, and again, from what I'm gathering, because I'm very glad that you read the book and weirdly that I didn't read the book. Because yeah, no, I'm glad that that happened as well. The, the, uh, <laughs> I didn't do my homework and no, 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 I'm no. getting I, rewarded for it. I think I did, I sort of, I just, I did it as an, as an exercise. Sure. The, uh, it is so difficult to separate those things. I'm very curious as to what you would have thought if you hadn't read it because uh, it's not something that I, again, I, that I glommed onto instantly, mm -hmm. but the, the fact that it did all feel sort of, I, I, the, the word I keep going back to sadly is mythological. Mm. Um, the, the, now where it does break from that trope. Yeah. And I think why it's so effective, and it's kind of a whiplash to my brain, is the fact of the uh, myths have um, normally at the end of them clear things where you can be like, oh, well, uh, this is a story about trying to tell you why you shouldn't steal. This is a story <laughs> about why, you know, it, 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 there, there's cultural value instantly. Myths are made so you can understand complex things simply. Yeah. This is something that is 
doing the same thing but not giving you the the M Night Shyamalan driving up in a truck at the end and explaining the 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 thing to you. <laughs> it, it's showing you an ending that you will probably find unfulfilling right. with the amount of detail that's gone into this so far. Because if you think about it, if you just look at this from a structural perspective, if if this wasn't if this movie wasn't about the injustices that African Americans face in in the United States, right? If it yeah. was about anything, if it was just about, if that wasn't at play, yeah. And then the ending played out like this, you'd be like, "What?" Yeah, you, you would. It would make you would be infuriated. It would have been a waste of your time, you know, etc. But because the. the a main character in this fucking movie is injustice. Right. And <laughs> and at the end injustice still wins but but uh, it's weird. Injustice and love being these two sort of like ethereal characters in this movie. Yeah. Love is still persisting. Yeah. But injustice won. Yeah, and it's weird because the, the I I think the novel is slightly more uh, pessimistic about that, which is that in just in the novel, injustice kind of reigns supreme by the end of it, and and becomes this overriding force, which almost not takes away from the love of, of Fani and Tish, but also kind of destroys the family around them. Um, in sort of weird, I guess I I can I guess I can spoil bits of the novel right now, but like for example, Fani's father commits suicide at the end of the film. Jesus, yeah, which is a big, which is a at big, the end of the book. At the end of the book, uh, you know, like and it happens like on the last page. It's just like oh, and this happened, and we're like what. Um, you know, we I had to go back and read it like three times just to make Weird. sure I was clear what had happened. Um, also, like Victoria, the woman that he uh, that uh, Regina King's character goes to visit in Puerto Rico, yeah. uh, suffers a miscarriage and is hauled away uh, and sort of like lost her mind by the end of it because of everything that's happened around her. You know, she is she is the victim of this injustice, but is also kind of like being persecuted for her reaction to it. Who was Oberyn to her? Oberyn is kind of so in the. I shouldn't call him by his yeah, name. Yeah, no, Pedro Pascal. Uh, Pedro Pascal. <laughs> um, I, think, I think the idea there was that she moved to America with a white man yep. and had three children, but Pedro Pascal's character was actually her lover in Puerto Rico. Oh. And, but she'd come back to him kind of a broken woman sure. or, or a different kind of woman. I just, we never saw them in the same scene, so no. I never knew who they were to one another. Yeah, and, and it's again, it's explained much more clearly in the film. In the book. Uh, in the book. Um <laughs> But but yeah, and 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 the 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 book and the film kind of have these sort of like really interesting side characters that pop up and do like one scene. Like and and Daniel Cardi, the 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 character played by Byron Tyree Henry, is one of those ones where he pops up like a few a few pages and it's it is I was like, I do kind of want to see what happens to that character, what happened to that character. But in the film, he really leapt off the page. He really jumped off the page and became this moment. And I think for me, his scene was the centerpiece of the film. Here's the thing. He is the most human character in this entire movie. Yeah, he, he it's a performance that kind of like takes the 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 pay, you know, takes the the written word and breathes life to life into it in sort of really strange way. Because everyone else in the movie up to this point is really this might sound like a little bit of shade, but I, again, I think it's almost a strength of the movie. At least the style of story it's trying to tell is very one note. Yeah, it is, and, uh, and I and I found that the film for me suffered because and of that. he I, see I like because again it, mm. it felt like a myth, and therefore I was like I get it. You're yeah. doing like real hard uh, analogies for yeah. things. 
uh, for his character, though, he felt like a human being in the world. I, I, I keep going back to like this thing, but like in the world of like the gods or something like that, right? Where he's just like this guy who is like most humans. And the reason he felt human is because I know that guy. Yeah. I know the guy that gets into trouble, but you can still have an amazing dinner with him. But also, mm. he's got a dark side. And he's also kind of loud and annoying from time. Like, mm. it's not like... there's It's it's a multifaceted person. When he says that line, it's like Malcolm X said, the white man be the devil. And he says it with this sort of like low, head hung low kind of thing. I, I don't remember that line being in the book. But I guess I, I just watched I Am Not Your Negro, which is you know yeah. a lot about Malcolm X. And when he says that, I I was like, I was just blown away at how effective just the delivery of that line was yeah. and how good that line is. So he 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 was a grounding force, and I think honestly, maybe now that I'm even thinking about it further, maybe mm. the fact that he is that's kind of the midpoint of yeah. the film. That I don't know if that was on purpose or whatever, but like if we were getting too floaty and you needed something to like tether it all down to yeah. like realize that like he he was a great bomb that let you know like yes it's all about these characters and the and the injustices that they're facing, but these injustices go beyond even though you could logically figure this out of course, but like this is like nope here's another tangible example of well, how this shit look i yeah. think the thing of you know like i've been dancing around and is talking about the adaptation and how the adaptation worked which is a real structural thing it's a real like uh production thing it's a real like uh, you know technical thing mm -hmm. but i think let's talk about what the film and book is actually trying to say and i think that scene is interesting because what what his character daniel cardi's character is saying is how horrific prison life is yes. for for men of his age, you know, and also like he says, you know, I, I wasn't actually committing a crime, but they just get you. It's like this, this, this threat that is constantly pervasive in their lives and they have nothing, there's nothing they can do to stop it. And then when he talks about like, there are things that I've seen in prison that will never, that I will dream about till the day I die. Yeah. And the thing that, what the, because of the way the structure is set up, when we're watching that, we're realizing that Fani doesn't know that life, and he is being foretold of the life he is about to yes. live. Um, and I think that's why that sort of on a mythological sense, we that scene kind of is powerful. And the interesting thing is, is we don't ever see the horrors that Fani like witnesses in prison or has done to him. But there's that moment later on in the film where. Um, Fani and Tisha talking and and he, you know, and, and Fani finally breaks down. He's tried to sort of had this had this strong face about what's happening to him in prison. And but he says, you know, and his voice breaks and he says, Do you, you know, do they know what's happening to me in here? You know, like do do you realize what's gonna happen to me in here? And we we never see what's happening to him in there. And I think that the 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 thing that that scene does is highlight that this injustice is just this force of evil in these people's lives that is inescapable. And I think that's what the whole film is trying to get at. And again, if you look at Baldwin's point of view about America yeah. and the reason why he left for Paris and the reason why, you know, his his speeches on America uh, and, and, you know, the, the plight of African-American men in America is our extraordinary um, kind of, not treatises about how American injustice sh should fill us with rage, but for somehow has filled us with complacency. And, and that's the <laughs> complacency in America. Yeah. And, but that's, isn't that ho horrifying? You know, complacency about injustice is probably more horrifying than injustice existing at all. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I think the thing, you know, like 
that this film is kind of getting at is that this injustice just exists and it is pervasive. And by the end of the film, um, where they're just, they're sitting in prison and he hasn't got to know his son, you know, like his son lives this life and his son, you know, uh, the, 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 the scene at the end is entirely not in the book. Um, okay. the, the, that is an invented scene. Uh, and, and the, you know, like he draw the son draws a picture or writes some word. We don't see what it is. But we, I think what we get the impression from Fani's, you know, rendering of it is that he realizes that his son only sees him as a prisoner or, you know, yeah. like in this way. And, and that is this thing that has been ripped away from because, you know, he, how happy he was to be a father, you know, the how happy he was to this idea that he was going to be a father. And, and he's, and that is now going to be entirely clouded by this experience. And it's not an experience that is like a one-time experience. It is the experience that his son might have. And his experience... Well, that of, is a one-time experience. Well, no, no. no here's what, I, what I'm oh, saying. Sorry. Like, his African-American son is going to have to be aware that this could happen to him. Right? It's not a one-time... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant... Well, I thought you meant, like, you only get one childhood. You know if you're going to be No, no, fathers. no. I mean, okay, I, mean, I mean, if you're an African-American in America... This is as true as it was in 1974 as it is in 2019. Right. You know what I mean? And it is true in 2019. We have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And, and I think that's what this film is kind of gently nudging us towards. And the tricky thing is that, that I think Barry Jenkins and Baldwin kind of do really well is that they're trying to put that message in a context of a love story. And they're not trying to make that... Um, you know they're not trying to make this film preachy about the injustice, which is which is very well could be. Like if you look, if you compare this to Black Klansman, for example, another film that we reviewed this year yeah. about historical inequality in America, mm -hmm. historical racial inequality in America. I th in America, I think that film is much more um, didactic about what it wants to say about race and politics and history in America. It actually is much more direct about those things, and I think. The, there's a gentleness with with which Barry Jenkins and James Baldwin are both trying to tell this same story, but frame it in a real way that is saying injustice is, exists and is going to happen. And this film, as opposed to Black Klansman, is one I think will actually really stick and, and again, gestate and become... I, I feel like this is a movie, if Beale Street could talk, is a film that if the right people see it, Maybe not right away, but will have more of a actual like longer term effect on perception of these issues than say Black Klansmen will. Because Black Klansmen, again, the story in the film Black Klansmen does wrap up, and then Spike Lee gives us five minutes of real hardcore education. Yeah. And it's effective in the moment. In that moment, I was like, holy shit. But yeah. until we just brought it up, I haven't thought about that particular moment. Yeah. I'll I will think because th this makes this literally no matter who you are, and I guess this kind of rolls into a bit of my final thought mm -hmm. is no matter who you are, this film takes a love story, turns it into a myth that is built to be entirely relatable to anyone, any human being. Yeah. But then the entirety of that experience is shadowed in something that a lot of people will not have to deal with because of the injustice in America. And that's sort of the, the again, injustice that African-Americans and, and minorities have to face in our current climate, in the climate that's kind of always been... Yeah, it's not just the current No, no, climate, I know yeah. that's, you know, but I'm just saying like in that climate and the climate that still exists yeah. now. So when you take those two things and 
it's not presented in a like real harsh like this is fucking like like again like sort of like that Spike Lee way which again that's an effective way for certain people but I don't think I think a lot of people will uh, block that more quickly. Yeah, this is a more sneaky knowledge feeling injection uh, right. that that I think could actually plant a seed that could crack open some mental barriers. And I, for that reason, I think it is an incredibly well-designed fable in a weird way yeah. that that uh, a, a more complex than I am used to being told. Right. And I think that that, that goes for just fables in general, but also film. Yeah. Uh, we've been trained, I've been trained by movies my entire life that there is a structure, there's a beginning, middle, and end, and even if that ending is a non-ending, that's sort of where it's supposed to be like, that's what wraps it up. This is something that literally just made me question like, oh, that's it, and that, but because of that, made me realize that the point of this experience is to continue questioning why this shit can happen. Things in real life do not wrap up cleanly. Yeah. And uh and, and that but that doesn't mean that the love or the experience that these human beings are having is uh any different than anything else that you're sort of experiencing. It's just it, it was incredibly powerful to me, but again, not in the moment. Yeah. It was it was such a slow burn and I really appreciated it. I now look, if I had to say what f- movie going experience did I like better, mm-hmm. Beale Street Could Talk or Moonlight? It's still mm-hmm. Moonlight for me. Right. Moonlight mm-hmm. but Moonlight does what I want a movie to do when I'm going to watch a movie more effectively, but this does more of a social inoculation. Right. Uh or 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 bomb or or uh I guess uh What's the word I'm looking for? Medicine, in a weird way, that uh, that I think we need and I think that is important. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it for a lot of reasons I didn't expect to. Right. So, I you know, again, I'm torn between this because I think um, I think I guess I come from a slightly different place about film, you know, which is that I've always thought film should be a commentary on our lives and they should expand uh, you know like for me film is life and it should expand into our world and and it should challenge you and 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 transform you in sort of interesting ways and and that's that's so i'm i'm really glad that this film gave you that experience um i and i and i think the film has the capacity to do that i think the thing is though there is something about this film where it is slightly in a weird way stilted um, and it is slightly too, it's, it's very, two dimensional is the wrong word because that sounds pejorative, but it's, 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 you know, it's basically doing the broad brushstrokes of a, of a thing while not giving you, while kind of like not giving you the details of what's happening to, to allow you to fill the space for you to do that. Now, ordinarily there are filmmakers that are masters of that. And I think one filmmaker that, you know, Barry Jenkins has been compared to, and I think has referenced quite a lot is Wong Kar Wai. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which which makes a lot of sense, and Wong Kar Wai is really great at kind of making impressionistic love stories. You know, like in the mood for love, happy together, which I think is a clear antecedent to Moonlight as well. Um, it are these are filmmakers that are able to kind of do that kind of language of film, which is broad strokes, impressionistics, which which allow you the audience to like soak up in the atmosphere of yeah. it. Yeah, and I think the problem here is that is that even. Wong Kar Wai, Terrence Malick, Hao Xin Xiu, um, you know, like can make films where the you do get swept up in it, and you do kind of like there's a lyric lyricism to it where which envelops you and kind of just you know you're you're fine with living in it, and I just wasn't quite living in this film. I kind of was 
you know, like living on top of the film. And and that may just be a function of me having read the book and done a deep dive into James Baldwin before before walking into this film and kind of having kind of half a film formed yeah. in my head before walking in. So I'm, I, you know, very much admitting that that might be a failing of my viewing of the film as opposed to the film itself. So because I, so, cause I don't think the film fails. I just think it failed for me because of where the point at which I was coming from to this film. But I've spoken to a couple of other reviewers that, you know, like I like, and they kind of felt the same way. So I, I, and, and you mentioned yourself that there is this sort of like, two-dimensionality to the characters except for a couple of scenes and here's the thing i i think in this particular case because of the way the story is being told that is important that's that's crucial to the type of thing that again the film wanted to tell yeah if the the book might have wanted to tell this story in a different way and have a sort of a different way for it to get its ideas across but i think the 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 uh, this is something, this is a weird thing, but like we've been talking a lot of like floaty or myth or whatever, like characters are one dimensional in this movie. They are either all good or all bad, except for his friend when they're having dinner, except for um, uh, Daniel. Uh, yeah. Um, because they, they, they're like, no character is given the time or, 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 or the, the screen presence to, no, to do that other than him. Here's a case in point is we haven't actually even talked about Tish in this film, you know, Kiki Lane's character. Yeah. Because Kiki, because Tish doesn't, she feels kind of there more than a character. And and, and you know what I mean? And and There's and, no change in Tish. There's yeah. really, uh, there's honestly, there's very, you don't actually get to experience actual change in Bonnie um, ca- either. And she, yeah, and she's, these are the, the main characters to hang us all on. And there isn't, the, you but know, they're the placeholder, yeah. in my opinion, for there's an extraordinary love. scene, you know, and this has been the year of movie births, and there's an extraordinary movie oh, birth yeah. in this movie. Yeah. And I like to the point where I was like, I don't even know how they did that shot. It's so beautiful. You know, like we come up out of the water from underneath the baby in a sort of almost baptism way, and then it comes up to realize that this is the actual birth, not a baptism. It's it's mind blowing, yeah. you know, how good it is. You know, and I and I thought uh, Alfonso Cuaron's Roma had like one of the you know like most powerful birth scenes this year, and right. this kind of did that as well. So I'm I don't know what it is about cinema this year. Maybe all all film directors are like remembering childhood or remembering birth stories or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> but 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 we're supposed to you know like we we come up and I should feel Tish's love and presence and 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 feel the relief and and how much the the sort of the joy of having a child in amongst, you know, like washes away the pain of the reality going around her. But it just, you know, like it doesn't quite happen that way. I felt more about, I felt more for Regina King's character in that scene where she was seeing her grandchild because of that monologue that she talks about at the beginning where she was like, this child that's coming is your grandchild. It doesn't matter how he gets here. You know, all that matters is he's here. And I felt more for, her response to that scene than I did for Tish. And I think that is a sort of interesting problem that I had with the film. I found it weirdly a a strength in the exact reasons why I think you, you didn't like it. It's, 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 it, while it does, I'll even say straight up, fail as a like particular emotional. I, fail is the wrong. No, no, word. No, no, I, I don't. On, I don't no, use on. that word for this. I, I think uh, the the portrayal of Tish's emotional thing fails in a sense of feeling actually like human. Yeah, nuanced and human. Because yeah. humans are nuanced. Yeah. But what it does succeed entirely with, because it's consistent, is the sort of. It, it, 
because it's not nuanced, mm-hmm. it can be, and it's like what great myths do. It could be every birth. It could be every child, every mother having every a child. child born in America. But, but yeah. right, like yeah. that's and and that's why I think it's highly effective, and that's also a reason why I think characters like Daniel, characters mm. like the mother, mm. uh, just uh, like get those sort of human moments where our main characters do not, because they're the ideal. Yeah, and and it's important to this film that they are the ideal. And it doesn't matter yeah. because everybody is going to be weighed down by the injustices of the play. That that is actually sort of the the sort of secondary part to this film, which I think is important as well. Which is that is you know like we we should be celeb- we we are in a place where I think we're celebrating black excellence. You know I think that's a, a phrase that has come up in the last few years, and I think it's an important phrase. And I think this film kind of celebrates black excellence. And 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 one of the things that I that I thought about when reading the first half of the book is how loving this family is. Yeah. And how like unified in different f- ways too. Again, the, the sister. Yeah. Is the sis- a perfect example. The sister is beautiful. And like the fact that, you know, like Sharon will, will Tayona Paris, I believe. Yeah. Will, will go to Puerto Rico to find this woman to try and, you know, convince her that her son and potential son-in-law, you know, like it's such a, this, this, this family unit is so beautifully, uh, structured and so wonderful to watch, you know, like it's so delightful to watch. And I think the film itself is an example of black excellence, you know, like it is, it is an example of, of celebrating black lives in a way that I think we may sometimes forget because we, 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 we forget because we frame those black lives in didactic stories about injustice and, you know, and, and politics and not see those lives within. Um, and, and I think, you know, this is an example of how that can work, um, without being didactic. Now that's sort of contradic- contradictory to what I've been saying all along, which is that the overall experience though, to me was still a little stilted, but I don't think it's a failure. And, and it's a really strange movie that I think I'm going to be wrestling with for a little while. And I want to see it again to kind of reconfigure my thoughts. And I think, I think my opinion will change of it the further away I get from the book. Um, I think that's apt. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I look, you, you've you've poisoned your mind with your own thoughts. Yeah, like no, that's but, kind of what. <laughs> but but I, but I, I think I wanted to purposely do that because I, I'm so taken by Barry Jenkins. I'm so ta- like Moonlight. I, I would argue is probably one of the finest American films to be made in the last good. like 30 years of American cinema. Um, and and I'm so taken by this filmmaker that I want to know his process because I want to like, you know, I want to aspire to the things he does. And so when I, when I chose to read the book, it was, it was a choice to like, see, how does this person do these changes? Um, and, but I think the problem there is that I, my, my filmmaker brain takes over when I'm reading something and I'm starting to think about how I would construct it. Um, and, and you know, the difficulty there is I was like, I'm not sure how I would do, I, I know how I would do scenes, but I'm not sure how I would do this film. Um, I think this is a wonderful film and a wonderful experience. And I'm really, you know, like talking to you in the way you experience this, I think is convincing me more about the power in it. But I, I, I will be honest in that watching the film did have kind of mixed feelings about it. I, I will say you know, the, the cinematography by James Laxton and the mm-hmm. colorist Alex Bickle are you know, profoundly beautiful, some of the best work this year. If Alfonso Cuarón made black and white beautiful, these two have made color beautiful. Um, and the score by Nicholas Bertel uh, is extraordinary. I've had it on repeat for the last couple of days <laughs> as I've been working at home, and it's just 
Yeah, I actually fell asleep to it last night. I was reading. Uh, it, it's, it's also perfect, like nighttime music. Yeah. Um, and I fell asleep to it, and I just woke up kind of while it was still playing, and I felt you know wonderful. Um, it, it's it's so it reminds you like the power of great music in cinema and, and, and how music can change and transform uh, a piece in, in sort of in, in profound ways. Sure. Um, so I just want to point all of those things out. You know, this is high art uh, of the, of the nth degree, but I still felt stilted, <laughs> <laughs> but you hated it. No. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film. If Beale street could talk side note, <laughs> I was very confused by the title because in the beginning of this movie, uh, it gives like a, a thing, I think, straight out of the book, right? It no, it's like, not in the oh, book. Oh, no? no. Uh, it felt like it. Uh, yeah, for where it talks the longest about, time, I thought Beale Street was in Harlem, but it's not. That's the thing. It's in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. And and then I was like, and as the movie was going, I was like, oh, it takes place in New Orleans. And then I was like, wait. This oh, no, is... no, but you didn't, you, did you read the whole thing? I did. So, so what what did you get the impression? I thought because it, the first sort of paragraph of that in the beginning it talks about like it was a street in New Orleans where jazz was born and da 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 da, da and it talked about all the different places that it sort of went to or something along those lines. I forget I forget the words of, that it said, but okay, I for whatever reason I globbed onto that and I was like, oh, this is a story that takes place in New Orleans. And yeah. then as it was going, I'm like, this looks a lot like New York. This is Harlem. And, and I was like, and it's Harlem. The the idea there, and I think it, it says it right at the top, is that uh, every city has a Beale Street. Oh yeah, yeah, but but again, the only city name—that's what it was. The only city name in that blurb was New Orleans. So I was like, "Oh, this is setting me up to take place." Right. In, I don't know. Again, so so James Baldwin lived. Uh, he was born in Harlem, but but he talked about the idea that that there is every city in America has an African American yes town, and every, and he's basically saying Beale Street is for him ground zero for that. Yeah, and. And Harlem has this town as well. And the idea there is, and I think it comes in the title, if Beale Street could talk, is that if these streets could tell us the the stories that happen in these streets, what would they tell us? I and, mean, this film is telling you one of those yeah, stories. And, or perhaps telling you an amalgamation of all of them. And, and it's telling you a story that would is about these these people being swallowed up. Yeah. You know, and yeah. being and being abandoned. And and that is kind of that's powerful about what it is. Well, Shahir, yeah. when you are not explaining yeah. uh the written word prologues yeah. to films to me that I that confused me when I saw them, when can folks find you? Uh when can folks find me? They can find me at any time on my website. That's not true. Not no. at any time. No, at any time you can find me on my website. I will be there as a little like bandish snatchy icon. That's okay. Going, Do you want to go any further? Okay. Uh Shahirdowd.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D. Com. Matt, when you are having profound, transformative experiences at the movies, where can people find you? You can't find me at the movies having the, because I didn't. I had it two days later, yeah. or the continuation of it. But so perhaps can, on the subway? Yeah, you can find me uh, slow. <laughs> it was slow burning my brain at yeah. M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life's and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram, or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. I've been told I should slow that down so people can actually hear what the F I'm saying. Oh, it's not just Emperor's name. Brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
uh, with our sound editor uh, playing with like what audio can do. So there's a lot of stereo tricks. There's a lot of like different hertz of sound range. There's there's a whole bunch of trickery in that episode that we we put a little something extra in should there. You, you should listen to it with your headphones on. Yes, yeah. uh, stereo headphones, 100. percent Dolby. Uh, did you mix it in Dolby Atmos? No, it's not 7.1. Yeah. Uh, you know, we just don't have the budget. No, Dolby Atmos is like 30.1. Great. Well, I don't. Ha- I have barely have a speaker and a yeah. half in this room. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening. Next week, we don't know what we're doing. I we're, will... we're getting too close to that. Like, okay, so here's the thing. Oh, Jesus. onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Right. Twitter at onlymoviepod. Sure. All that. I want to. Uh, we, we we do this thing every year, which is that I want to make sure we get in a few films before we get to our top ten list. And sure. There's, one, there's only one more that I got to get in. What is it? Burning by Lee Chang Dong. Okay. Have you got any more that you want to get in before we do our top ten? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I I will tell you this. It just doesn't fit into this at all. But I will be going to see Escape Room this weekend. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and that's going to make your top ten list. I, I don't I, think so. Well, that was also 2019, so it doesn't count. But uh, no, I can't count. Oh, can't. No, because oh, that's right. Our rules are weird. Our rules are weird. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then maybe, maybe it's gonna be my number one. Uh, uh, I think so. But uh, uh, yeah, we we should get one or two more in. I I don't. This is episode one ninety seven, and we're getting close to our two hundredth episode. Should two hundred be our our it's our so, year in review? It could be, but it could also be separating art from the artist. Which we we're, we're hey, still listen. working. There's so much stuff we're doing and not doing and trying to do while we're still trying to put out a show every week. But listen, <laughs> just listen to us complain about it every week, and maybe one day it'll become real. Here's the thing: we both still love it. At least I'm speaking for both of us. I right know, now. of we course. We both still love it, and that's why we're still doing it, and why we've rocked on to almost 200 episodes uh, without even noting, oh, noticing it's, so it's happening. Good. Like right now, we have we we're trying to cram in more before 200. I say. anyway. <laughs> I love but doing enough this. about how the soup is made. Yeah. We'll uh, have you hear us next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.